in the supplement of the study, they separate the physical therapy group into those that had success with physical therapy and those who ended up getting the delayed arthroscopic partial meniscectomy. And as one might expect, the people who ended up getting the surgery had lower scores at the preliminary time points, three, six, nine, 12 months. But then everybody, regardless of whether they got surgery, didn't get surgery, got surgery late, all ended up the same at the 24 month mark. Should our younger patients who have an acute injury to their meniscus get early surgery or persist with physical therapy? That's the question we asked Dr. Travis Pollan. Now, Travis is a personal trainer, PhD in rehab science, also has a master's degree in biomechanics and movement. So he's a good person to ask about this. And he reviewed a recent RCT, which tackled this issue. Now, interestingly, between the two groups, at two years, everyone was quite similar. But what we did in today's podcast is explored that two-year journey, the nuance, and why 41% of people ended up getting surgery. So some really interesting points here, and Travis tackles it wonderfully. Enjoy this episode. My name is Michael Risk, and this is Physio Explained. All right, welcome back, Travis. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me again, Michael. Now, you've done a research review on this paper, and we're going to ask you a few questions and go a little deeper, but any of our listeners can have a free trial of this research review, which we'll put in the show notes. But Travis, kick us off with what was this paper called and what was the purpose of it? So this paper was titled Arthroscopic Partial Meniscectomy Versus Physical Therapy for Traumatic Meniscal Tears in a Young Study Population, a Randomized Controlled Trial. And they sought to investigate whether arthroscopic partial meniscectomy was superior to physical therapy in what they called young patients, which the age range for that was 18 to 45, and they all had traumatic meniscal tears. 18 to 45. My brain just went to young patients, 18 to 45. That's a tight population range. I might have assumed it would be like 15 to 30 or something. So it's, it's good that you clarified that. And it had to be a traumatic injury. It had to be a traumatic injury. And they called these people young because there were previous studies that were done in older populations. The The mean age for the study group ended up being 35 plus or minus eight. So something to keep in mind, if you're subtracting a couple standard deviations below that, they didn't have many people in their early 20s or in their teens. Yeah. They say young, but 35 plus or minus eight. Was there any severity to the damage to the meniscus? Was there any like flap tears, clicking, locking? Did they rule anyone in or out of that? Yeah, it was a pretty tight inclusion exclusion. So it had to be a full tear based on MRI findings. And they excluded anybody with a locked knee with a meniscus tear that could have been repaired with a suture or with a concurrent ACL or PCL tear. So they, they kept it pretty tight that way. And then there were people who were further excluded after randomization what, because they didn't have symptoms on the day of the surgery. Or once the surgeon went in, they were able to do a repair instead of a meniscectomy. Now, we could talk about the ramifications of that from a statistical analysis standpoint, because there's one way of analyzing that those people do get included, which is kind of the standard way of doing it, even though they didn't receive the treatment that they were randomized to. But then there's also, that's called an intention to treat analysis. 
And then the per protocol analysis would be the people who only actually got what they were randomized to. Sure. Okay. Take us through how they did this. So who was split into what groups? And then we'll spend most of the podcast getting into the nuance of the result. Totally. So they had a hundred people who ended up qualifying for the study. Actually, maybe I should take one step back because they had almost 200 people who were eligible for the study, but they excluded people with a strong treatment preference. So if somebody really wanted the operative treatment or the non-operative treatment, then they were not included in the study. It had to be people who were open to either one or the other. And that right off the bat maybe says, if you have a patient coming to you and they really do want one or the other, then you might steer them towards the one that they have the strong preference for because the results of this study only applied to the people who didn't have that strong preference. So 100 people after the elimination of the people with the preference and they randomly allocated people essentially 50-50. There were 49 in the surgery group and 51 in the PT group. And what they did was the people who got surgery got surgery. The people who did PT had to do three months of physical therapy at least. But at the three-month mark, they were allowed to opt into a partial meniscectomy. So there were a certain percentage of people who actually did PT, but then went on and got the surgery. So it ended up being 41% of the people who were in the physical therapy group ended up getting the surgery. Yeah. And the results of that take us to it. The results were basically that at the end of the study, it went two years They followed people at three months, six months, nine, 12, and 24 months. And at the end, everybody looked basically the same. So their main outcome measure was the IKDC, which stands for International Knee Documentation Committee. It's rated on a zero through 100 point scale. And the groups were essentially identical at the end. They both scored 78 out of 100, and there was a 0.1 point difference between the two groups. So that was at the end of the two years. And you might wonder, well, was there any differences at any of those preliminary follow-ups? And there were none. So between those two groups, the surgery group and the physical therapy group, they were not statistically significantly different at any time point. Now, there is one nuance or wrinkle to that where in the supplement of the study, they separate the physical therapy group into those that had success with physical therapy and those who ended up getting the delayed arthroscopic partial meniscectomy. And as one might expect, the people who ended up getting the surgery had lower scores at the preliminary time points, three, six, nine, twelve 12 months. But then everybody, regardless of whether they got surgery, didn't get surgery, got surgery late, all ended up the same at the 24-month mark. Okay, so there's a bit of clues or a bit of hinting that maybe they weren't progressing as well in the first three months. So 41% of those who weren't went on to have the surgery, they continued to have lower scores, but after two years, everyone ended up the same. Is that the right interpretation? Yeah, that's right. The one other wrinkle to that is that they were allowed to get the delayed surgery at three months, but their range of times when they chose to opt into that surgery ranged from three to 21 months Okay, with a median of five and a half. So the average person was getting it five months later, but that's why we saw it wasn't just that these people were the people who were ending up getting the delayed surgery were lower at three months, but they were lower at three, six, nine, and 12 months because it wasn't just 
at the three month mark, you have to decide, but it was anytime after the three month mark, you could decide to get surgery. Yeah. And so we were talking offline that there's a bit of nuance here and there's like a glass half full, glass half empty interpretation of it. So take us into the two ways that you could kind of interpret this paper. Right. So the optimists would say, look at how great this is. We had a group of 50 people who we sent to PT and almost 60% of them, they did well with PT. They didn't do any worse. They did the same as people who got the surgery. And then the pessimists could say, well, 41% of them, they ended up needing surgery. So we kind of wasted their time. They were going to need surgery anyway. So the question is, well, how do we figure out who's going to do well with PT and who's going to need surgery? So that before this paper, there was no evidence one way or another. And the primary recommendation was we should be sending these people in for surgery in this age demographic. There was evidence showing that we shouldn't be doing this surgery for older adults. So that was kind of the motivation for, well, we need to figure this out for younger people. And so what this paper at least says is that surgery isn't always necessary. And there's good evidence, this study, to show that a lot of people do well just with physical therapy, but not everybody. So then the question is, well, how can we know who is going to do well and who's not going to? And we don't know yet. Are you struggling to keep up to date with new research? Let our research reviews do the hard work for you. Our team of experts summarize the latest and most clinically relevant research for instant application in the clinic, so you can save time and effort keeping up to date. Click the link in the show notes to try Physio Network's research reviews for free today. We don't know. We only really get the signal that they're not doing well once they start physical therapy and then they would decide to get the surgery, right? Right. So the tricky part is if you have two years to burn, then it doesn't matter everybody winds up the same. If you're a young athlete trying to return to sport at a fairly expedited timeline, this study didn't really address that. Yeah. This study measured the IKDC primarily and then a bunch of other secondary measures at various time points along that two-year mark, but they weren't looking at like time to return to sport for athletes. In fact, there was a substantial, about one-third of the people in the study were competitive athletes, either competitive or elite, I think is the way they described it but not everybody. So it's tricky to find 100 people to be in your study if you're only doing athletes or only doing non-athletes so that they were inclusive of both of those. But how clinically, you know, that has to factor in, but we don't know exactly how that factors in because this study didn't address it. And this was the first study ever to look at this in this population. You mentioned something about the pessimist might say that we've wasted that person's time, but is there any other research or in this paper that that it would have been quicker if they got the surgery? Wouldn't the assumption be they would have to get the surgery day one, not three months to say that they've wasted their time? Is that is that a correct line of thinking? Yeah, I, I think so. So it is hard to say because, again, that's not exactly what they were looking at. Yeah. But at the very least, if they were going to need surgery, then we did PT with them and they failed PT because they were still having symptoms. So they would have been potentially better off getting it done earlier. But we don't really know that. Actually, that's another really interesting point is that all of these people, the inclusion range was that they had a traumatic injury within six months. And many of these people had potentially done some sort of conservative treatment prior to being enrolled in the study. 
And so that's an important consideration is that maybe the baseline, just when you're thinking about, here's the person in my clinic versus the people in this study, maybe the people in the study had a little bit higher function off the bat Dang. because there was a wide range of time since the surgery that would maybe say, well, these people did better, ended up doing better because they were starting off with a higher level of function. One other thing too, it's like in the end, yes, everybody did about the same. That score on the IKDC, their final score of 78 out of 100, these aren't functioning perfectly, whether they get yeah. surgery or whether they're, they're not. So they're, they're the same, whether they do or whether they don't. But 78 is, they're still having some issues two years later. Yeah. Was there a pre-scoring? Right. So that's important. They started out in the 40s and 50s okay. on that. So yeah. to get from 40 or 50 to 78 is a really important improvement. Yeah. Very clinically meaningful, meaningful from a, a real world perspective. But it, these people weren't getting to 100 on that scale. So I guess if I have a patient now, I'm in the clinic, they're 18 to 45, they've had a traumatic meniscal injury, and they're, they're kind of asking me, they're like, you know, what do you think I should do? What are my timelines here? I've seen the doctor, they've kind of recommended I get surgery. How would you describe the findings of this plus your clinical experience with just that everyday patient in front of you who fits this criteria? Right. I would point to this study and I would say, look, at the two-year mark, Regardless of whether you get surgery or whether you do PT or whether you try PT first and then get surgery, you can expect a pretty good outcome. Yeah. So if you don't have a strong preference, my recommendation would be let's try physical therapy first mm. with the caveat that we don't know about the time to return and that person's individual thing. But in the absence of a strong preference, I would say let's try PT first. I think the findings of this study are encouraging in that way. But again, if the person does have a strong preference, given that there's no difference, well, maybe you want to go with the thing that's going to match their preference. Yeah. I was just thinking, would you even go down that path, devil's advocate, of saying we would try to avoid surgery wherever we can? Like, would you agree? And most patients would agree. At three months, though, from this study, 60% of people just got the same outcome by continuing physical therapy. There were 40% of people who went on to have the surgery because they weren't progressing. And that's okay. We can still make that decision in two or three months. If you're not progressing, there's a 40% chance you might need the surgery. And that's okay. I want to let you know, though, at two years, your outcomes will still be the same. So in there, is there something that they're actually not wasting their time with physiotherapy anyway? I think you could make the case that it's worth a try, right? Yeah. And and if you can wait to the two year mark, you know, if you don't need to be back at a hundred percent for sport before that, then it, it taking that big picture look at it. The one thing to remember is that it's not necessarily that the people who opted into surgery got it right at the three month mark. So that's a good conversation to have with somebody just to say, let's give this a good go for three months at least. And then at any point thereafter, you're welcome to opt into surgery. Yeah, yeah. And do you tend to have those conversations with patients where you'll actually refer to a paper or say, hey, there's this paper? Do you tend to go down that path? I would, yeah. The paper is open access, so anybody could read it. Yeah. Most people aren't going to read it, right? But I could at least point to, hey, we have a very recent study that I think is well done. It was the first one on this population. You kind of match up with the people who were in the study. I think we could apply these findings in this case. Yeah, I, I would certainly bring it up 
I wouldn't necessarily expect any of the people in the clinic to run off and go to the British Journal of Sports Medicine and pull it up, right? <laughs> sure. Uh, Travis, thank you so much for covering this paper. Now, you've done a research review on it, so we'll put the research review in the show notes and people can trial that for free. But um, some of the nuance you added in today's podcast was awesome. So thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you very much, Michael. Always a pleasure. <laughs>